today, we're going to be looking at the parable of the ten virgins, and this is actually lesson 78 of Matthew. You know, when I studied this parable years ago, it was quite a frightening passage for me. You know, there are some words of Yeshua that really kind of stop you in your tracks. Verses like Matthew chapter 6 and verse 14 says, If you forgive men when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive men their sins, your Father will not forgive your sins. Now, I've always found that verse to be quite sobering, that your sins may not be forgiven if you don't forgive others. Well, the parable of the virgins is much the same kind of a sobering passage. So let's read the first couple of verses here. Chapter 25, verses 1 and 2 said, At that time, the kingdom of heaven will be like ten virgins who took their lamps and went out to meet the bridegroom. Five of them were foolish and five were wise. And notice it says the kingdom of heaven will be like ten virgins. Not the world, not the people of the world, but the kingdom of heaven is going to be like ten virgins. In other words, this can only be talking about believers on the earth. And it says of those believers that five are wise, and they get to go to the wedding supper, as we're going to see, and five are foolish and don't get to go. Now, I don't know about you, but I want to be one of those going to the supper. The thought of knowing Yeshua and not going to the supper is something I don't even want to think about. So let's look at this. And remember, to understand a parable with the understanding it was given, you have to understand the various pieces of the parable. If you want to understand the true meaning, then you have to understand what came to the speaker's mind as he was giving it and what came to the listener's ears as they heard the parable. And if you don't understand the various elements, then you're most likely going to miss the true meaning of the parable. You may assign some meaning to it, but you'll miss the meaning that Yeshua intended. So first we have to understand the ten virgins, what they represent, and this, also this phrase, at that time. Well, what does it mean at that time? What time will that be? Well, all we have to do is back up to chapter 24, and we're going to find that he's referring to the time just prior to the coming of the Son of Man. Just prior to his return, and he says at that time, the kingdom of heaven will be like ten virgins. And so we're looking at the kingdom of heaven and what it will be like just before the return of the Messiah. And you can only identify those of the kingdom of heaven as disciples of Yeshua. The virgins are those who are part of the kingdom of heaven. Disciples, if you will, of Yeshua. And it says of those, five are wise and five are foolish. As part of the kingdom of heaven, they have to be disciples who, in their lives, God is sovereign. Because that's all that are in the kingdom of heaven. It's a prerequisite for being in the kingdom of heaven. To be part of the kingdom of God, he must be sovereign in your life, at least to some degree. And these virgins, so they're all believers, folks, they are made pure by the blood of the Lamb. They're the kingdom of heaven. And so what we have here is a parable about disciples, those who have accepted Yeshua, and it's just prior to the coming of Messiah, and these disciples are spoken of as virgins, and these virgins are the attendants of the bride, awaiting the bridegroom to take his bride to the wedding supper. 
These are those who have accepted Yeshua as Lord, and yet we're seeing they are divided into two camps, five wise and five foolish. And that's really hard part of this passage, isn't it? How can that be? You see, that's what makes this passage so difficult. The kingdom of heaven is going to be both wise and foolish. The five wise will be blessed with the reward of going to the wedding supper and the five foolish won't be so blessed. They won't receive that same reward. Five, according to this parable, are going with the groom and five are not. But they're members of the kingdom because Yeshua said the kingdom of heaven will be like ten virgins. Not just five wise, but the whole ten. So who are these foolish ones? Now we have ten virgins and not eight, not seven. So why are there ten? Why did Yeshua choose the number ten? Well, we're told that there's a judgment being made here. Ten, when you look in scripture, is the number for judgment. When you see it in Scripture, whenever you see 10 in Scripture, you look for a judgment coming real soon because judgment is about to follow. It's also the number of completion in that, you know, it's the number for a minion, it's the number for starting a synagogue, so forth and so on. And so we have the complete kingdom, and at that time, it's going to be judged. Now, as we read later, the judgment is five are blessed and five are not so blessed. Verse 10 says this, But while they were on their way to buy oil, the bridegroom arrived. The virgins who were ready went in with him to the wedding banquet, and the door was shut. Later the others came also. Sir, sir, they said, open the door for us. And so the wise are blessed with the wedding banquet, and five are not so blessed. They're left outside. Five are going to this great feast. We're told in in the Messianic kingdom there's going to be a great feast with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, with the Messiah at the head of the table. And so we have disciples who are blessed with this and those who are not. You know that word blessed in Hebrew has a different connotation than the word blessed in English. It means, and we've looked at it before, it's the word ashray. It means contentment, happy, content, full of joy. That's what these five wives are going to be, and they should be because they're going to the wedding supper. They're going to a feast with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. They're going to be with the Messiah. There's no greater blessing for me than to be included in that meal. So let's continue with the virgins and find out what makes them wise and foolish. The foolish ones took their lamps, but they didn't take any oil with them. The wise, however, took oil in jars along with their lamps. The bridegroom was a long time coming, and they all became drowsy and fell asleep. At midnight, the cry rang out, Here's the bridegroom, come out to meet him. Then all the virgins woke up and trimmed their lamps. The foolish ones said to the wise, Give us some of your oil, our lamps are going out. No, they replied, There may not be enough for both of us and you. Instead, go to those who sell oil and buy some for yourselves. But while they were on their way to buy the oil, the bridegroom arrived. The virgins who were ready went in with him to the banquet. And so again, we have only half going to the kingdom, the banquet. The half that are ready for the groom and half that aren't. And 
the half that earned have to go out and buy oil. Do you see why it's imperative to understand the symbolism of these elements? If you attach your own meaning, you're going to miss what Yeshua said. You have to know what did this mean to these men. And it would seem that if we're going to get to the bottom of the parable, there's two things that are pretty important here. The lamp and the oil. What is it that kept half from the kingdom, from the wedding supper? Well, it was the oil. We can look at what the lamp symbolizes very easily because the lamp in the Bible and in Hebrew and Christian thought is nearly always the same. The lamp is the word of God. Your word is a lamp unto my feet, Psalm 109 verses 105 says, and a light to my path. The lamp is symbolic of the word of God, the Torah, and rightfully so. These are members of the kingdom of heaven. God has to be sovereign in their lives in some way. They have to have accepted Yeshua. They know what he's taught. They know the word of God. That's the nature of a disciple. They know the greatest command is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your might. And the second is like the first, love your neighbor as yourself, because they've heard those words of Yeshua. And you know, those two commands sum up all the rest. Now, we've all read the part of Psalm 119 that I just read. Preachers preach it all the time. There's songs that have it. Thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. But you know something? I hate to stop things in mid-thought. I really think that when we read Psalm 109, verse 105, we ought to include the next thought, which is verse 106. And it says this, I have taken an oath and confirmed, them, confirmed it. I will follow your righteous laws. I will keep the righteous laws. And remember, all those laws can be summed up in two. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. Listen to Proverbs 6.23. For these commands are a lamp. This teaching is a light, and the corrections of discipline are a way of life. And so the Torah is the lamp. The word of God is the lamp. And the reproofs of instruction are a way of life. So we have two parts here. We have the performance of Torah, and we have the Torah. You see, the law of God is nothing but head knowledge unless you do it. You see, that's the difference between Greek and Hebrew thought. In a Greek mindset, we all go to college to study to know. In a Hebraic mindset, a first century Hebraic mindset, you studied to do. So all the ten virgins know Yeshua. They all have the lamp, the word of God, which brings us to the oil. What is the oil in the parable? Because I can tell you the happiness whether these members get to the kingdom of heaven or get to the wedding supper, whether they're blessed or not, depends on the oil. They all have lamps. But it's not having the oil that keeps them from the feast. The oil is really the key factor in the parable. So don't you think we should understand what the oil is? The lamp they carry is nothing. A lamp is nothing without oil. It's like a a lamp without a bulb in our homes. A lamp is nothing if not for the oil. In this case, the oil, I'm going to tell you, has nothing to do with the anointing. How many have heard the oil is the Holy Spirit? You know, Pentecostals like to teach that. 
They like to teach that, that that's the oil is the Holy Spirit. Well, that's a nice thought. And, you know, I think we should all seek after the God for his spirit and for his spirit to work in our lives. But that's not what Yeshua means here. You see, we have another parable that, in Matthew chapter 7 that reads this way. Verse 21. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only he who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name? Did we not drive out demons in your name and perform miracles? And I will tell them plainly, I never knew you. Away from me, you evildoers. Now here's a parable about those in the kingdom who must be operating in the spirit. They're healing, they're driving out demons in Yeshua's name but they suffer the same crushing words from the master. Depart, I never knew you. Remember, the terminology has to be familiar to the listener. So to understand, we have to go back to the first century and find out what oil would have meant to the listener. The oil of a lamp is never equated to the Holy Spirit in Jewish teachings. Let's see what the rabbis taught about oil what they may have heard in the synagogue, and then we can understand what would have come to their minds. Leviticus Rabbah 3.7 says, I shall go out and do unseemly things, improper things, and I shall bring a meal offering on a griddle, and I shall be beloved by the all-present. But the Holy One, blessed be he, says to him, My son, why hast thou not mingled your doings with words of Torah? For oil symbolizes the Torah. Oil symbolizes Good deeds. You see, the oil symbolizes good deeds. The Torah, deeds or good works of the Torah are the oil. You see, the Torah is useless unless you act on it, unless you conform your lives to it. It's to no avail without good deeds. Just as the lamp is useless without oil. Not only that, get this, without good deeds, without obedience to the precepts of Torah, what does it do? It serves to show the lack in your life. It serves to show the sin in your life. It shows your disobedience, your lack of good deeds. If the Torah says, give to the widow and the orphan and you don't do that, that's sin. Just as an empty lamp is useless, Instructions in the Torah on loving your neighbor without obedience are useless. Listen to what Numbers Rabbah chapter 15 says. Mingle with oil alludes to the Torah for the study of which must be mingled with good deeds in accordance with that which we have learned. And so the Torah is the lamp, but if it's not mingled with good deeds, what good is the Torah? If the Torah doesn't affect your walk, then the Torah will serve to judge you. If you read, love your neighbor as yourself, and you have an abundance, and yet you ignore your neighbor's hunger, his needs, then the reward you could have had for helping turns into a negative. Because you didn't help. You've ignored the words of God. The Torah is the lamp. Yeshua's words are the lamp. But without the oil, without the deeds... It will not be a true representation of Messiah. It will not give light. Our lives are to be representative of Messiah. We must always be lights to the world. When someone came to Yeshua, to the Messiah, in need and said, help me, he didn't turn them away. 
Now, we should all know the meaning because Yeshua told us flat out that this is the way it was. In Matthew chapter 5 and verse 14, he says, You are the light of the world. A city on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people put a lamp, light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before men that may they see your good deeds and praise your Father who is in heaven. You see, you can know Torah and its statutes. You can know all the secrets of the Torah. You can find Messiah on every single page of the Torah. You can know the words of the Master by heart. But if you don't do what's written on the pages, if you don't follow the words of the Master, if you don't do as the Master does, you'll never be a light to men. If you say you know Yeshua, but you do not do what he says, you are a liar and the truth is not in you. At least that's what John says. These virgins are judged because they have the word of God, they have the Torah, they have the words of the master, they have the lamp, but they have no deeds, no oil. They, in their waiting, have lost their zeal and their obedience to God. And so the Torah they have, the words of the master they know, serve to judge them as not worthy of the supper because they knew to do good, but they did it not, just as a lamp judges the five foolish virgins because they have no oil. Listen to Song of Songs, Rabbah. Thy God's name is magnified by everyone who busies himself with the oil of Torah. These virgins placed in the kingdom, these virgins placed in the kingdom is affected by the oil or deeds. Now, if that's the case, and if I'm telling, you know, this is correct interpretation, I would think that we should be able to find that somewhere in Scripture a little more plainly stated, right? Well, let's go to Matthew chapter 5, verse 19. Anyone who breaks the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. He'll be in the kingdom of heaven, but he'll be called least. Whoever practices and teaches these commands will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. According to the words of Yeshua, your status, your reward in the kingdom is going to be affected by your teaching and your performance of the commands of God. So ask yourself this, could your status in the kingdom through lack of keeping the commands, through lack of loving your brother as you love yourself, affect your reward to the degree that you're not invited to the wedding supper? Well, that seems to be what Matthew, what Yeshua is getting at in this parable of the virgins. Could your good deeds get you to the supper and thereby you would avoid the pain of being left out? You see, the only punishment in this parable is five are left out of the supper. Jewish tradition is not without that thought either. Listen to what Jewish tradition says, Sefer Haggadah. This is a very old tradition. Abiyah asks Rabbah, what should one do to be spared the pangs of the Messiah? He answered, let him engage in the study of Torah and good deeds. Good deeds. Keeping you from the birth pangs or the tribulation is a thought of the first century Judaism, just as those at the supper will be spared. I can tell you this. If you know to do right, if you've listened to the words of the master and not done them, then he's truly not sovereign in your life. Now, I know after my message on Rosh Hashanah, 
on the world to come being a free gift, I am now running the risk of people saying that I teach that you, that you get to the kingdom of heaven on good deeds or works of Torah. But please understand that I'm not saying that. You can't get there on good deeds alone. And Yeshua tells us the same thing in verse 20. He says, For I tell you that unless your righteousness surpasses that of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, you will certainly not enter the kingdom of heaven. Now I want you to understand that the Pharisees were meticulous in doing good deeds. We just read some of these traditions. Their teachings, they knew the importance of doing good deeds. And I've heard teachers teach that Yeshua is referring to to the Pharisees' disobedience to God here. Not at all. Yeshua is not saying or pointing to their disobedience of the Pharisees. No, he's pointing to their meticulous obedience. And what he says is that meticulous obedience isn't enough. You also have to have faith in what Messiah Yeshua did for you, that he's the atoning sacrifice. You can't even get to the kingdom of heaven on good deeds, according to Yeshua. You have to have Yeshua, the righteous one, in your life. But Yeshua is saying, there's a reward for doing good deeds. Shaul tells us that we were created to do good works, which were foreordained for us to do. Listen to Yeshua's brother James. What good is it, my brothers, if a man claims to have faith but has no deeds? Can such faith save him? Suppose a brother or a sister who is without clothes or daily food. If one of you says to him, go, I wish you well, keep warm and well fed, but does nothing about his physical needs, what good is it? In the same way, faith by itself, if not accompanied by action, is dead. James, whose real name is Yaakov, is telling us, he's the brother of Yeshua, and he's telling us the same thing. And listen as he continues now in verse 18. Some will say, You have faith, I have deeds. Show me your faith without deeds and I will show you my faith by what I do. You believe there is one God, good. Even the demons believe that and shudder. You foolish man, do you want evidence that faith without deeds is useless? You get that? Faith without deeds is useless just as a lamp without oil is useless. And if we read on in verse 21, he says, Was not our ancestor Abraham considered righteous for what he did when he offered his son Isaac on the altar? You see, his faith and his actions were working together. His faith was made complete by what he did. And the scripture was fulfilled that says, Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness and he was called God's friend. How many want to be God's friend? It goes on to say, you see that a person is justified by what he does and not by faith alone. In the same way, was not even Rahab the prostitute considered righteous for what she did when she gave lodging to the spies and sent them off in a different direction? As the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without deeds is is dead. You see, faith without good deeds is dead just as a lamp without oil doesn't give any light. Psalm 119 tells us how to be one of the blessed ones. 
It says, blessed are those who walk, whose ways are blameless, who walk according to the Torah of the Lord. Blessed are those who keep his statutes and seek after him with all their heart. They do nothing wrong. They walk in his ways. You have laid down precepts that are to be fully obeyed. Oh, that my ways were steadfast in obeying your decrees. Then I would not be put to shame when I consider all your commandments. Commands. I will praise you with an upright heart as I learn of your righteous laws. I will obey your decrees. Do not utterly forsake me. You see, if we walk in the ways, in the light of his Torah, and in the words of the Master, if we love the Lord our God with all of our heart, and we love our neighbors as ourselves, we will not be like the virgins who were left out of the supper. Shaul says this in the book of Romans. Listen to this. That if you confess with your mouth Yeshua is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you'll be saved. For it is with your heart that you believe and are justified and it is with your mouth that you confess and are saved. You know, I love those words, but you know, when, when the average person reads them, we put our definition of believe in there. You know, and that's a really cheap imitation of what Shaul is saying here. Because if you want a definition of believe as Shaul understand it, you only have to look back at the life of Abraham. You only have to look back at the life of Abraham. He's the father of those who believe. And as Yaakov said, Abraham's faith and actions worked together. I want you to tell me, who's the one who believes? The one who says, oh, I believe in Jesus, as do 85% of the U.S. population and spends his life doing the things to further himself in the world without a thought for his fellow man? Or is, it the one, or is this the one who believes, who says, I believe and spends his life telling others of the grace and mercy of God, the one who can't bear to see his neighbor suffer, the one who spends his days looking for ways to kadush Hashem, or in English, to sanctify the name of God? You see, it's not hard. If you really believe, then your actions will line up with what you believe. If I think it's going to rain outside, I'm going to take an umbrella with me. Bob Dylan in a song years ago, in one sentence of a song, summed up the parable of the ten virgins. He says, it's not words but deeds to tell what's true. You see, it's not knowledge of Torah that gets you to the supper. It's doing Torah that gets you to the supper. It's following the master. It's living like the master that gets you the reward of the supper. If you read the blessed hours of Matthew, the blessed hour, they all refer to those who have busied themselves with loving their brother as themselves and loving the Lord their God with all their hearts. The oil are the good deeds of your life. And if you don't have any, well, let me just tell you, it might get a little hungry for you at the kingdom. You might be a little hungry. You're still going to get there. You just might not get to the feast. Or you might be so far down that table you can't even see Yeshua. Right? Revelation tells us something very similar. It tells us this. Revelation 19. Hallelujah for the Lord God Almighty reigns. Let us rejoice and be glad and give him glory for the wedding of the Lamb has come. The bride has made herself ready. Fine linen bright and clean was given her to wear. Fine linen stands for the righteous acts, the good deeds, we could say, of the saints. And the angel said to me, Right, blessed 
happy, content, are those who are invited to the wedding supper of the Lamb. And he added, these are the true words of God. Fine linen stands for the generous acts of the saints. Let's be wise virgins and go to the wedding supper. And then, to finish the parable off, Yeshua hammers home the message. He says this in verse 10 through 13. He says, but while they were on their way to buy oil, the bridegroom arrived. The virgins who were ready went in with him to the wedding banquet, and the door was shut Later, others also came. Sir, sir, they said, open the door for us. But he replied, I tell you the truth, I do not know you. Therefore, keep watch, because you do not know the day nor the hour. Yeshua says, if you want to be one of those who go to the supper, keep watch, or we could say, be vigilant. Keep your lamp full, because you don't know the day nor the hour. Keep the zeal for God that you had at the beginning. Look for ways to Kedush Hashem. I spoke on Rosh Hashanah how the world to come is a free gift. And for those who believe, that's true. But let's be of the faith of Abraham. Let's have our faith and our actions working together to be true lights for the Messiah. Our lamps always full of oil. And let's put on the fine linen for the feast. Amen?